Take your Bibles with me this evening, if you would, and go to the book of Luke in chapter number 16. I want to echo what Pastor said and thank each and every one who has played a part these last couple of days in serving the Lord in one facet or another. A healthy church needs all kinds of people with all kinds of talents, just plugging in where the Lord has them, using the little that they have, using their little lunch, if you will, for God's glory. It's not about how much we have, it's about how much we're willing to give to the Lord and allow Him to use it. And I'm so thankful for your faithfulness and how wonderful these last few days have been. I've been uh, in contact with my family over the last few days and just letting them know the different things that God's been doing. And I know my wife has been praying for these meetings and just uh, sad that she can't be here with you all. But what a blessing it's been to be able to be here at Victory Baptist Church and to Again, be part of what God is doing, and so I'm, I'm just praising the Lord for that. Luke chapter 16 tonight. You know, sometimes we learn lessons from the most unlikely of sources. You know, I hope you come to church, you know, wanting to learn and hoping to learn and, and, and asking God to speak to your heart and asking God to do something, to teach you something. But sometimes God speaks to us, and a lot of the times God speaks to us when we're, when we're not at church or when we're not even expecting a lesson to come. And, and sometimes the most unlikely of sources can be a source of lessons and teaching and instruction for us in life. I know one thing that, uh, that I have learned is, uh, is that I don't really know a whole lot. I've learned just how little I know. The older I get and the, the more life experience that I get, I, I realize, man, there's, there's a whole lot that I don't know. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you graduate from Bible college and you think, man, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to change the world. And I'm, you know, going to be waves of revival sweeping across the nation. And then I realize, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, and, I, and I need Jesus just as much as the next person. I need Jesus more than the next person. I need him every hour. And and then, you know, I get married and I realize, man, I, I'm, I'm really a selfish sinner right there. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm telling you. And then, and then you go and you have some kids and you realize, man, I really am a selfish person. And I really do got a lot to learn. And, you, you know, watch your child as it grows and it starts, you know, acting up and, and doing some stuff. And you're like, my goodness, you know, where in the world did you learn that? And sometimes you got to realize, oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. Probably got that one from me right there. <laughs> the Lord, the Lord uses those things to humble you a little bit. But I remember one particular day, and uh, my oldest daughter, daughter Amelia, she's five years old now. Uh, but this is back when she was only four years old. And uh, we try to teach our children and instill in our children, you know, the, there's there's certain things that we do and then we don't do here in the Hay household, and you know, the, the certain things that please the Lord and certain things that don't please the Lord. And, you know, one of those things that we don't do is there's some words that we don't say. You know, there's some words that take the Lord's name in vain, and we don't say those words. That's just, that's just not something that we do. That's something that the Lord uh, frowns upon and directly condemns in His Word. And so we just don't do that in, in, in our house. And, but there's also some other words that we try to teach our kids that maybe they're not necessarily like those words, but, but they're just not kind. They're not nice words. They're not words that we want to use and direct at somebody else. And uh, one of those particular words would be the word stupid. I don't necessarily have a problem with the word itself, but we you know, tell our kids you shouldn't call somebody else that. That's just not kind, and that's just not, not a good thing to do. And so we don't do that here in the Hay household. But I remember one particular day, and as, as you all know, I'm an evangelist, and I travel in a 30-foot fifth-wheel trailer. And uh, if you have any experience with trailers, you know that they, uh, they just they fall apart. Stuff happens. 
stuff breaks. It's just the way that it is. I mean, really, if you have any, <laughs> any uh, <laughs> experience with life in general, stuff falls apart. You know what I mean? Stuff just doesn't work the way you want to. I've, uh, I, you know, we've never actually owned our own house, but I, you know, everybody that owns a house tells me, oh, you know, just put that off as long as you can, because as soon as you buy it, stuff breaks, and there's always projects to do, and there's always stuff that's going wrong, and, and uh, you know, traveling in a trailer is like having your house and then putting it on wheels and then driving it all over America thousands and thousands of miles. Stuff breaks, stuff falls apart, and it just, it's just the way that it happens. And I've gotten all sorts of skills and, uh, and picked up all sorts of skills out of sheer necessity along the way and, and fixing the trailer. But there was one particular day I was trying to fix something. I don't even remember what it was, but uh, it wasn't going well. You know, it was one of those projects where you're like, ah, I'll be able to knock this out, you know, maybe in an hour or so. A couple hours later. You know what I mean? So, so some of y'all are nodding your head. You know what I'm talking about. You know, it's just, it seemed like a simple project, but it just, it's just never simple. You know, something breaks, something goes wrong, and it just doesn't, it's just not working out the way that you thought it did. And I, I know you'd never believe this, but I started to get a little bit frustrated. I started to get a little bit in my flesh while I was sitting there in my trailer. And the, the, the one thing about trailers is, is they, they are small and the walls are made out of glorified paper. And so whatever is going on in one part of the trailer can be heard in the entire trailer and can be heard by the people outside of the trailer if it's going on loud enough. You know, you got to be careful when you're, uh, you know, disciplining the old kiddos because, you know, somebody's walking by. And, oh, are they beating a cat in that trailer? What in the world is going on? No, 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 we, we don't beat our kids. But anyway, we get myself in trouble tonight. Uh, you know, that's why I need my wife, you know, and she, she starts looking at me when I start, you know, trailing off too much on the illustration. She's like, you better rein that one in, buddy. You know, you're going to get us in trouble over here. But anyway, so I, I'm getting frustrated. This project's not working out the way that I thought it should. And, uh, you know, I, I, I start getting in my flesh a little bit. And I'm like, man, I just can't believe this. I, I've been working on this stupid trailer for, for two hours and this, this, this dumb thing just, just doesn't want to cooperate. And so I'm sitting there and I'm frustrated. And my daughter walks across the trailer. She has her hands folded in front of her like this. I, I just remember it clear as day. She walks across the trailer towards me. She gets over near me and she puts her hand on my knee. She says, Daddy, you shouldn't say bad words in front of your children. <laughs> Uh, for half a second there, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I was about, oh, well, who this kid thinks she is telling me what I can and cannot do in my own trip. But then, I, you know, I realized, okay, Lord, you're trying to tell me something here. And I'm like, you're, you're right, honey. I, I, I shouldn't have said that. You know, it was a good, good humbling moment for me. But sometimes our lessons, if you will, come from the most unlikely of sources. But tonight I'd like to take you to a place that I don't necessarily like to go to. I don't necessarily like to talk about. I don't necessarily like to dwell on it a whole lot. But sometimes we have to go to some uncomfortable places. We have to consider some uncomfortable things in order to be helped. And in order for God to work in our hearts. You know, we live in a world where we try to, we try to <laughs> get out of discomfort as quickly as possible. Discomfort is the worst. We need to get out of it as quickly as possible. We need to avoid it like the plague. Whatever you can do to stay fat and happy and comfortable, that is what we ought to do. But that's just not the best thing for us. Sometimes we need to be uncomfortable in order to grow and in order for God to get us to where he wants us to be. And here in the book of Luke, in chapter number 16, God gives us a story. Jesus here tells a story. And oftentimes when Jesus would preach, he would tell stories and he would tell parables. 
And parables were earthly illustrations that illustrated a heavenly truth. They were stories that Jesus would tell that would be hypothetical situations in order to illustrate a Bible or a heavenly truth. But here tonight, I do not believe that we have a parable in front of us. I believe Jesus is telling a real story about two very real individuals. There are many reasons for this. One of the reasons is because Jesus names one of the individuals, and he would not do that in a parable. He would just say a certain man or a certain woman or whatever it might be. But in this story, he names one of the individuals in the story. And so I want us to go here to Luke chapter 16 and consider two things in hell that are often missing from the church. Let's pause and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For your word, we thank you that it's profitable for reproof, for correction. Lord, I pray that you would take your word, Lord, take this difficult subject, and would you work in our hearts tonight, Lord. I need your help tonight. Would you hide me behind the cross? Lord, would you guide my lips? I pray, Lord, that you would challenge all of us as your people in this crucial area. In Jesus' name I pray. Can we begin reading tonight in Luke chapter 16 and verse number 19? The Bible says this. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. And was buried. Here in the beginning of our story, we're introduced to two very different characters. The first character we're introduced to, the Bible indicates that he is the rich man. That's how he is identified here in our story, a certain rich man. Now this wasn't just a man that was doing pretty well for himself. No, this man was, he was, he was living high on the hog, if you will. The Bible says he was clothed in purple. This was a color that was often reserved for royalty. It was a very difficult color to come by. Only those of very great means would be able to be clothed in purple here in Jesus' day. And yet this man was. He was clothed in purple, the Bible says, and in fine linen. He wasn't wearing the scratchy clothes of a peasant. No, he was wearing only the finest of clothes. Purple and fine linen. The Bible tells us that he fared sumptuously. He lived a life of excess. And he didn't just do that, you know, for a week out of the year or two weeks out of the year when family vacation rolled around. No, the Bible tells us he lived sumptuously every day. Only the finest foods for the rich man. Only the nicest of possessions for the rich man. I mean, he wasn't going to skimp or he wasn't going to pinch pennies, if you will, because he didn't have to. He was rich enough where if he wanted it and it, may, it would make him comfortable and it would bring some scrap of joy to his life, he was going to have it. A life where many would look at and say, wow, I mean, that, that guy's arrived. He, he's gotten to a place where... I mean, he doesn't have to worry about money anymore. He's gotten to a place where he can buy whatever he wants. He can go down the, the aisle at the store, and he doesn't have to go to the back where the clearance section is, you know what I mean, and try to get those deals. No, he can just get the stuff right off the rack in the front window. And then we're introduced to another character. The Bible calls him a beggar by the name of Lazarus. And if there could be an opposite of the rich man, 
it would be this beggar by the name of Lazarus. The Bible said that he was laid at the rich man's gate and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. You can almost see him there laying outside the gate of the rich man going through his garbage, looking for a chicken bone, looking for some leftover scraps that they had thrown away from a party at the rich man's house the night before, something to satisfy his hunger. And day after day, week after week, maybe year after year, this beggar would lay outside this rich man's gate eating crumbs and barely surviving. The Bible tells us that he was full of sores, full of these open wounds that would ooze and would itch. And the only relief that he would have from these wounds all over his body was when the dogs would come. Not the fluffy little domesticated dogs, mind you, the, the wild, nasty street dogs who lived on trash themselves, would come and would lick his sores. If you were to be given a choice between living the life of verse number 19 and the rich man, living the life of verse number 20 and 21 of the beggar Lazarus, I'm, I don't have any doubt that each one of us in this room would say, I'll take the rich man's life. I'll take that one right there. That, that seems like the way to go right there. But the Bible tells us in verse number 22 that death came for both of these men. And see, death is the great equalizer. Death strips of man of everything that he has and leaves him with nothing but who he is. You can have everything that this world has to offer, but the fact of the matter is, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Often when I go out in, in visitation, I go out in, in soul winning, I'll try to leave somebody with that verse if they're trying to kind of shut me down or kind of close the door and say, ah, I'm not, nah, not right now. I'll try to leave them with that verse. It's appointed unto man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to stand before God? You see, we don't know when that day will be. We don't know when that day will be. But, and I'm sure that this rich man, he didn't have any plans of dying that day when he actually did. But death comes to all of us. And that's another thing we don't like to think about. We don't like to stop and meditate on death. At least we shouldn't. Although it seems that for some in our world, it's become a growing fascination with all things death and, and dying, especially around this time of year that we just passed. It, with a fascination with death, and that ought not be true in the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian is one of life. We ought not be fascinated with death. But the fact of the matter is death comes, and we must be ready. People ask me sometimes, Brother Drew, why do, you, why do you try to work the gospel in every one of your messages? Because I believe that it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone that will believe. It's the most important decision that anyone can ever make. And, and, and if you never hear another thing that I say or don't get a single thing out of my message, get this. You need to be ready to meet God. You need to be ready to meet God. And the only way to be ready to meet God is to have Jesus as your Savior. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other way. I meet all sorts of people, and they got all kinds of ways. Oh, I'm, I'm hoping my good works will take me there. Uh, I'm hoping my church membership will take me there. Uh, I, me and Brother Terry talked to a guy today, and, and I, I asked him about the Word of God, and I asked him if he knew he was on his way to heaven, and asked him if I could show him how he could know, and he said, no, I'm a Lutheran. And I, I'm not making fun of Lutherans tonight, but being Lutheran isn't going to get you to heaven. Being Baptist isn't going to get you to heaven. Only by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone can you have hope of eternal life in heaven. The 
Bible says that death came for both of these men. And tells us that the that Lazarus, the beggar, died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. He may have been poor in life. He may have been nothing but a beggar full of sores and starving in life. But let me tell you something. Lazarus had found the answer to life's greatest question. What am I doing here? Where am I going when I die? He had found the answer to that question. And the Bible says that heaven was his destination. But not so for the rich man. Look at verse 23 with me tonight, if you would. And verse 22 says, The rich man also died and was buried and in hell. He lift up his eyes, being in torments. One moment he had everything. Everything that he could ever want. And the next moment, he opened up his eyes in a place called hell. Hell is kind of a word that's thrown around in our society today. It's a word that's cool to put in your action movie. It's a word you might hear yelled when, when, when somebody hits their thumb with a hammer. But let me tell you something tonight. Hell is no mere curse word. No, hell is a real, literal place. That is what the Bible teaches. And again, I don't like to, 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 to stop and think about these things. I don't, I don't like to meditate on the, the reality of hell. It's uncomfortable. It's terrible. It's awful. But it doesn't make it any less real. We can close our eyes and we can shut our, our ears and pretend and bury our heads in the sand and pretend like this life is all there is. But let me tell you something. When death comes, you're going one of two directions. There is no purgatory. There is no darkness. There is no reincarnation. There's either heaven or hell. And we must decide before we get to that day where we're going. We see here that the rich man opened up his eyes in heaven. And the Bible tells us about hell. The Bible tells us that hell is a place of fire. I've burned myself before. As a kid, you know, I, 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 had, a, I had a bit of a fascination with fire. You know, I, would, I, would, uh, I shouldn't be giving the kids around here any ideas, so I won't tonight, okay? You parents can thank me afterwards. But I, I, I messed around with fire a little more than I should. We'll leave it right there at that, okay? Don't play with fire, kids. That's a bad idea. And I've burned myself. And, I mean, it's painful, and it hurts, and, and, but, but there's things you can do, you know. You, you, you can, if you burn yourself, you can, you know, stick your hand under some cold water, and that might give you some relief. You can put some aloe gel on there, and, and that might help it. And, and I, for a little while, it'll hurt, you know, if you touch it or if you bump it up against something. But eventually, it heals, that burn. But not so in hell. In hell, the Bible says it's an eternal torment. There is no relief. There is no, I'm going to pay my time and then I'll get out. It's forever. The Bible also says that hell is a place of darkness. You might say, Brother Drew, how can hell be a place of fire and a place of darkness at the same time? Well, I'm here to tell you tonight, the Bible says it and so I believe it. And that ought to be enough right there. Uh, but science tells us that as fire burns hotter and hotter, it changes colors. At first, it's that reddish-orange color that we all know. 
And then as it gets hotter and hotter, perhaps a blowtorch, if you've used that before, that, fire, that flame becomes blue as it gets hotter and hotter. Uh, but as I've read and, and, and as I understand, as fire gets even hotter, it becomes translucent. And the Bible tells us it's a place of fire, a place of darkness. I was talking to somebody after I preached this message here a couple of months ago, and they said, you know, I think one of the worst things about hell will be the fact that the last thing that those folks ever see is Jesus saying, depart from me. I never knew you. And that's the last thing they'll ever see. It'll be nothing but darkness after that. The Bible says that hell is a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. An absolutely horrible sight. I can only imagine how terrible it'll be. Sometimes my kids will grind their teeth and I'll be like, oh no, stop, don't do that. You're going to mess your teeth up. Please don't do that. But this will be millions of souls grinding their teeth in pain, weeping and wailing. And I believe another one of the worst parts of hell will be the regret, will be the, oh, if only I had listened to that crazy evangelist when he said that I needed to come to Jesus. If only I had taken that gospel track that was given to me and taken it seriously. If only I hadn't said no to God. If only I hadn't said I'll put it off till later. It's a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of everlasting torment. And part of the reason that I have given my life to the Lord and given my life to preach His Word is because I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want anybody to go to hell. Brother Drew, it sounds like you're using a bunch of scare tactics tonight. I, I, I'm not trying to scare you tonight. But I am trying to let you know of the truth that awaits you if you reject Christ. And if I could, I'd make you trust Christ tonight. But I can't. That's a choice that you have to make. But might I beg if you don't put it off another moment. I, it wouldn't bother me or pastor, either one of us, if somebody tonight had some questions about whether they were going to heaven or not and were to stand up in the middle of the service and say, I need to be saved. We would rejoice with you tonight. But I want you to notice as this rich man woke up in hell, that there are two things that he very quickly realized and, and, and received. Number one tonight, I want you to notice that the rich man got a correct perspective on life. He got a correct perspective on life. Look at what he says in verse number 24. He lifts up his eyes, being in torments. He sees Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. This was a man who in life probably hadn't been thirsty in years. If he was thirsty, he got something to drink. If he was thirsty, he had servants that would take care of that sort of thing for him, and he could have the finest whatever he wanted to drink. But he opens up his eyes in hell. And now he's not asking for some alcohol to drink. He, he's not asking 
for, for a whole glass of water to drink. No, he begs Abraham, send Lazarus, please, and just let him dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Just a drop, please, Abraham. Send Lazarus just a drop of water. That's all I ask for. I'm begging you. Would you just give me a drop of water to cool my tongue? I am tormented in this flame. Very quickly, this rich man got a correct perspective on life. And I think it's sad that we can go day after day after day and not even think about a lost soul. We can go day after day after day and we're so wrapped up and I got my job over here and I have my hobbies over here and I got to relax and have my entertainment over here and I got this over here and we're, we're so busy running around doing all these different things and the, the, the fact of the matter is a lot of it's just going to burn up. A lot of it's just going to burn up. This rich man, he got a proper perspective on priorities. The Bible says in James 4 and verse 14, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I've heard it put this way. On our tombstone, our life is summed up in a dash. There's a, there's a begin date. There's an end date. just a little dash but yet what we do with that dash affects all of eternity how are you living your dash if we're honest sometimes I, I feel like we waste days we waste weeks we waste hours on that which has no eternal significance I'm not saying it's necessarily sin but what I'm saying is we spend all this energy on stuff it's not going to do any good in eternity. This rich man, he got a correct perspective on priorities. He got a correct perspective on possessions. Proverbs 23 and verse 4, Labor not to be rich, the Bible says, Cease from thine own wisdom. Now listen, I believe in working hard. We live in a society of slothfulness and handouts and gimme, gimme. I believe in working hard. But what I'm saying to you tonight, is we can work and work and work and accumulate all this stuff, but we can't take a speck of it with us. You never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It just, it, it doesn't happen. You can't take it with you. So may we get our priorities in order. Young people, there'll be people who tell you what you need to do with your life is you need to get a really good job and make a lot of money. And if you have to work on Sunday, that's okay. Money is what you need to be living your life for. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I can point you to story after story of people that had all the money in the world and they ended their own life. It didn't bring them happiness. It didn't bring them the satisfaction that they thought. They're miserable and they're wretched and they wish that they had something to live for. Well, well, Jesus gives you something to live for. Live for him. That's the only place you'll find satisfaction. You won't find it in a bigger house. You won't find it in a faster car. You won't find it in more followers on whatever social media platform. You'll only find it in Jesus tonight. Hell gave the rich man a right perspective about pleasure. This man had experienced, I'm sure, just about all of the good things that life had to offer. And now the only thing that he wanted most in the world was a fingertip dipped in water. He would have traded all of the pleasure and all of the things that he had experienced to ju for just a little respite from the scorching heat of hell. 
He got a correct perspective on it. But I want you to notice, second of all tonight, not only did he get a correct perspective in life that it's short and we must live it for Jesus, but he got a clear passion for the lost. He got a clear passion for the lost. Look with me down at the Word of God here. Verse number 26, Abraham tells him, Besides all this between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us which would come from thence. You're stuck there, buddy. Hell is forever. And as soon as this rich man realized that there was no more hope for him, that there was no relief to be found here in the fire of hell, look at what his next thought was in verse number 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. When the rich man realized that there was no drop of water to be had, his first thought was for his family. His first thought was for his five brothers that were still living, and he begged Abraham, Father Abraham, please, would you send Lazarus? I mean, if Lazarus came back from the dead, surely they would believe. If he came back from the dead and told them that they need to avoid this place of hell, I don't want them to come here where I am. But please, Father Abraham, would you send Lazarus? Would you send Lazarus? Verse 29, Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear says, if they're not going to listen to the word of God, they won't even believe if one comes back from the dead. But see the point here tonight. I wonder how many of us have unsaved loved ones, have unsaved co-workers, unsaved friends. How's your passion for them in life? Well, Brother Drew, you don't understand. I, I've tried to share the gospel with them before, and they told me they weren't interested. Maybe, maybe try one more time. But, but Brother Drew, you don't understand. I, 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 I've tried to talk to them and, and they, they won't listen to me. But, but, but hell's hot. Surely that's enough of a reason to, to tell them one more time. Surely that's enough of a reason to get down on their face and, and beg God to save them one more time. Be you not weary in well-doing, the Bible says, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. But how sad it is that so many of us who have experienced so great salvation, who have our sins forgiven, who know we're on our way to heaven, who have experienced the peace that passeth all understanding, how sad it is for us who know Jesus and who know that He's our Savior and who know heaven is our home to go day after day and week after week without telling a single person busy, Brother Drew. Too busy to do what you've been left on this earth to do. But I got a lot, I got a lot going on. I got a lot of stress. I got a lot of pressure on me, Brother Drew. Uh, too, too much to care about people that are sliding on a, on, a, on a slippery slope straight to the pit of hell. I wonder if there are more prayer meetings in hell for the souls of lost men than in our churches and in our lives. We must beg God to break us of our complacency. We must beg God to wet our faces with tears once again. We must beg God to give us a passion for souls that cannot be quenched. 
I stand not before you as one that has mastered this message, but as one that every time the Lord makes me preach it, it slaps me in the face. I believe we need, a, we need a heart like the Apostle Paul when he says in Acts 20 and verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Is your heart broken for the lost? Or has there been a coldness that has settled? Has there been even a mindset of, well, if God wants them to be saved, he'll send somebody to Perhaps that somebody is you. Perhaps that somebody is me. God in heaven wants you to witness to others. And if somehow we were able to lift the coffin, the lid of the coffin of hell tonight and listen to the cries of the rich man who's still there, by the way. Listen to the cries of the damned. They would say, won't you go and tell them how they may know that they're on their way to heaven. We don't want them to come to this place. Heaven doesn't want people to go to hell. And hell doesn't want people to go to hell. What's wrong with us? Oh Lord, would you break our hearts? Would you give us a passion for souls? I wonder if God were to come to a Victory Baptist Church tonight. And we're to say, as he did in Isaiah chapter 6, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I wonder if there would be one, two, three, many, who would say, here am I. Send me to this lost and dying world. I can't go across the, the world and preach the gospel on a foreign, in foreign soil, but I can go to my neighborhood. I can go to my coworkers. I can go to my family again. But Brother Drew, maybe, they, maybe they will, they'll disown me. They won't want to talk to me anymore. Well, if they're going to go to hell, make them climb over your body to do it. Make them climb over your tear-stained face to do it. And beg them to come to Jesus. Psalm 126 and verse 5 and 6, the Bible says this. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Would you send me, Lord? Would you send me? I close with this. A Bible apologist by the name of Ray Comfer. And one day an atheist sent him an email. And I would like to read an excerpt of that email to you. As he challenges Mr. Comfort about his passion for the lost. He says this. You're really convinced that you've got all the answers. You really got yourself tricked into believing that you're 100% right. Well, let me tell you one thing. Do you consider yourself compassionate to other humans? If you're right as you say you are and you believe that, how can you sleep at night? When you speak to me, you're speaking to someone who you believe is walking directly into eternal damnation, into an endless onslaught of horrendous pain which your loving God created, yet you stand by and do nothing. If you believe one bit that thousands every day were falling into an eternal and unchangeable fate, you should be running the streets mad with rage at their blindness. 
That's equivalent to standing on a street corner and watching every person that walks, that passes you walk blindly into the path of a bus and die, yet you stand idly by and do nothing. You're just twiddling your thumb, happy in the knowledge that one day the walk signal will shine your way across the world. Think about it. Imagine the horrors of hell must have in store if the Bible is true. You're just going to allow that to happen and not care about saving anyone but yourself? If you're right, then you're an uncaring, unemotional, and purely selfish expletive that has no, reason, no right to talk about subjects such as love and death. May God break our hearts. Hey, Brother Drew, I, I run mad through the streets with rage. I mean, I, uh, what's that going to do? What, what's sitting and, and not telling anybody going to do? I think we've swung the pendulum the wrong way. Oh, we don't want to offend anybody. Oh, we don't want to, you know, make it seem like we're weird or anything. We don't want to, we don't want to turn anybody off to the gospel. And so we've swung the pendulum so far that we're not even going to say the gospel or tell anybody about the gospel or confront anybody about the gospel, period. We, we got to start somewhere, do something. When you leave this place, grab some gospel tracks and tell somebody about Jesus. Say, Brother Drew, I'm still a little bit nervous. Well, just start there and hand them a gospel track. Carry some with you wherever you go and hand them out. And ask God to give you opportunities. Let me tell you something. You start asking God to give you opportunities to witness, you think he's going to ignore that prayer request? <laughs> He'll have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It's time, high time, that we awake out of sleep. We stop twiddling our thumbs and we go to a lost world good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you tonight. Oh, Lord. I thank you for saving my soul. It was a message on hell 